This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary stranger. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. A former police reporter, Scott Reeder, will be here in a few moments. He's the producer of a new serial-esque true crime podcast uh, featured on NPR, National Public Radio, and it's uh, debuting this month. Uh, It's called Suspect Convictions, and it's, as I say, it's a serial. It's uh, following one true crime story in particular. It's rather grisly. Um, Rock Island, uh, Illinois is the setting, and Scott will be here in just a few moments to share the details And, uh, Albert, you raised a good point uh, earlier. We'll have to bring this up with Scott, and that is how you can serialize a story when the case is still in progress. I mean, obviously, uh, we'll find out from Scott, but that that was an excellent point you raised because this is an ongoing trial. This guy's been convicted – or, sorry, he'd been tried three times and now a new trial, um, I think, in February, and then they're supposed to – uh, when was the uh, the jury expected to a conviction or a uh, um, June June a um, a verdict right in June anyway Scott Reader standing by suspect convictions uh, now uh, oh what's in the box uh, is coming up shortly as well and if you want to play along at home we'll do the reveal probably at the uh, the bottom of the hour. And uh, Ian in the other room and uh, Ryan as well. I'll introduce these folks in a moment. But um, uh, I want you to focus your attention to that lovely humidor and uh, the the contents thereof. What's in the box coming up shortly? First, uh, let me introduce the boys in the band on the Gibson Flying V guitar, our fine rockabilly friend, Ian Robertson, who is my technical producer. On the other side of the glass, twisting knobs, dials, and doodads. Not sure what doodads are. Nobody uses that expression anymore. But you probably would, Ian, because you're from a you're from a bygone era. You are a time traveler. You are the raw, the real John Teeter. You got. Uh, let's. Can people see him on the uh, the hangout? Yes, there he is. 
on the Rickenbacker bass guitar and occasionally the theremin, my remote viewer, story producer, Albert Vinzel. Albert, how are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, this is the cutoff date, actually, uh, those of you who don't know. January 15th, after this, you are not allowed, under penalty of law, to wish anyone a Happy New Year. All right, so get it said. And uh, sitting in with the band uh, tonight, our intern, he helps produce my weekly radio feature, Strange Planet, on the Hammond B3 organ, Ryan White. Ryan, welcome. Uh, thank you, Richard. Hello, Happy New Year. Uh, now, we have a quick update. Uh, a couple of months ago, was it a couple of months we had Thomas Colbert on, Albert? Uh, Thomas is a, uh, a former TV newsman. He's, nor- he's now sort of a, a citizen sleuth. He uh, assembled this cold case team of former FBI agents, and they believe they've identified D.B. Cooper. This was the famous hijacker. It took a suitcase bomb. It, it really wasn't a suitcase bomb, but he pretended it was a suitcase bomb aboard a Boeing 727. In Portland, Oregon, it was bound for Seattle. Forced the, or the plane landed. He, everyone got off uh, in exchange for $200,000 and a parachute. And then D.B. Cooper jumped out of the back of the plane after it took off uh, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest with $200,000, never seen from or never seen or heard from again. And the FBI co- uh, closed the case last summer. And then, as I mentioned, Thomas Colbert uh, assembled the uh, the cold case team, and they they think they've cracked it, and they believe it's this. They wrote a book about it that's been very well lawyered, uh, and the um, the man they believe is D.B. Cooper, still alive, living in San Diego, uh, by the name of Robert Rackstraw, and uh, now there is a uh, a new development in the case. And uh, let me see if I can pull it up here quickly. It comes, uh, well, I'm reading it, uh, the version uh, published on uh, Inquisitor.com. And the thing is, I'm not, we, we should get a hold of Thomas Colbert and get an update because I'm not sure whether the citizen sleuths that are mentioned in this story, whether that's the same Thomas Colbert, exactly. However, here's what it says. An amateur research group have announced they have found some clues to the D.B. Cooper hijacking of a Northwest Orient Boeing 727. And now they need some help from the public in order to finally solve this case. What is the new information and who can help this group? According to the Washington television station King 5, some new clues to the unsolved D.B. Cooper hijacking have been uncovered using very modern technology. The Seattle FBI-appointed research group called Citizen Sleuths, and again, I don't know if that's Thomas Colbert or not, have taken the J.C. Penny clip-on tie worn by D.B. Cooper and had it analyzed. Using a, an electron microscope, the team found over 100,000 particles on the tie, including cerium, strontium, sulfide, and pure titanium. Uh, the team did not mention the name of any other particles found on the tie, instead focusing on these three particles that the powerful microscope found. This is important because during the time, very few people worked near these elements, according to lead researcher Tom Kay. Lead researcher. Okay, so this may not be Colbert's, Colbert's team. Uh, these are what they call rare earth elements. Uh, they're used in very narrow fields for very specific things. Now the team wonders if perhaps D.B. Cooper had worked for Boeing or was a contractor for the aeronautics company. The tie went with them into these manufacturing environments for sure, so he was not one of the people running these manufacturing machines. He was either an engineer or a manager in one of the plants. Now the research team is asking for the public's help. They believe that someone will read about the three elements found and know exactly what the project was and perhaps even who could be 
D.B. Cooper. Someone may be able to look at these, those particles and say, oh my gosh, I know what this, that means, having those particles on the tie. And of course, the unsolved case occurred 45 years ago. The hijacking occurred on the 30-minute flight between the two northwest cities of Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington on the eve of Thanksgiving. Flight 305 was two-thirds full when Dan Cooper appro- approached a flight attendant with a note he had that he had a bomb and was hijacking the plane. Eventually, he was given the $200,000, worth over $1.2 million today, and he requested four parachutes. He, he then let all of the passengers off the plane. Now, um... What's interesting is Colbert had figured out or someone had figured out that $200,000 in, I think they were 20 denominations of 20, that's all you could carry as a parachutist without it ruining your glide pattern. So obviously this individual had to have experience as a paratrooper and indeed Robert Rackstraw was in Vietnam, received paratroop uh, training and so forth, paratrooper training. All right, just a little update, but we'll, uh, we'll have to get uh, uh, Tom Colbert back on. And uh, discuss that. Um, oh, want to mention this as well. Fans of my TV show, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, uh, four seasons, of course, aired across uh, Canada on Vision TV, right here, part of the Zoomer family, Vision TV. The website went down for a while, but I've rebuilt the website and relaunched it. It's now live, theconspiracyshow.com. I'm talking about the TV program now, theconspiracyshow.com. You can also get to it by going to strangeplanet.ca and then you click on the TV section. Theconspiracyshow.com, uh, there's an episode, uh, episode guide there, all four seasons. And uh, if you're in Canada, you can watch some of the episodes, but it's geo-blocked elsewhere. Uh, you can also check out the online store. T-shirts, mugs, phone cases, hoodies, sweatshirts, all available. So if you're a fan of the TV show, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, why not show it off by purchasing uh, some of the merchandise? It helps support our work on the show. Uh, All right, very quickly, Albert Vinzel, what's in the box? Let uh, let people see the box, and uh, if you want to play along at home, ladies and gentlemen, please use the hashtag, hashtag TCS, that's TCS as in The Conspiracy Show, remote, hashtag TCS, Remote, Albert. I, a lot of people are going to get cigar because of the type of box it's in. But yeah, I think that that may be closest. Sam, I, I get like a candle or something you light. You're seeing something long, cylindrical. That's. Round. I'm not even a remote viewer. You study the protocols, Albert. You're supposed to allow the image to form in your head. You don't just blurt out an answer. Okay, work on that a little bit. All right. Uh, let let Ryan, our intern, have a go here. What do you think? What's you know, in the box? It's funny. Albert said it was a candle. I had been feeling something glass, like maybe a candlestick holder. So something glass like that. All right. And uh, Ian, on the other side of the glass, what's in the box? Uh, I was picturing something uh, in your pocket, maybe money or maybe a wallet. Money or a wallet. All right. Uh, you're all sort of way off. <laughs> we uh, Incidentally... Um, we're not going to do the remote ex- viewing experiment um, with uh, Douglas Cottrell. He's joining us in the second hour. But we'll reveal what's in the box at the bottom of the hour. And uh, I just wanted to remind you that uh, in the second hour, Canada's Edgar Casey, the man with X-ray eyes, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell will be here with his predictions for 2017, earth changes and uh, geopolitics, the stock market, the price of gold, and, and so forth. All right. Uh, to the main entree, if you're a fan of true crime and radio, I think you're going to enjoy the next 40 minutes or so. 
the streetlights come on. It's getting dark. She's supposed to be home before the streetlights come on. She wasn't home yet, so I'm thinking she's just out there playing with a friend. She never came home. Over two decades ago, police reporter Scott Reeder was one of the first to arrive at the scene of a fire. When he arrived, it was discovered that a nine-year-old girl had been tragically doused in gasoline and set on fire. Soon after, an African-American was convicted of the murder. In fact, he's been tried and convicted twice of the murder, both, but both convictions have been overturned. There is new evidence that the police may have tampered with and even manufactured evidence in that case. Uh, the police hid the fact that the main witness in the case was actually an undercover police informant with 78 past police reports that were hidden. Of course, uh, the law requires that this information be disclosed, but it never was. In addition, there was a, a known white supremacist on the jury, and evidence pointing toward a different suspect was hidden from the detective working the case. What's especially uh, exciting and engaging about this case is that there will actually be a conclusion there will be several days of court hearings in February, and the jury, jury will render a verdict in June. Joining us now, the producer of Suspect Convictions and the former police reporter uh, mentioned earlier, Scott Reeder. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm doing great. Good to be here. Great to Happy have you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. The last day of the year I could say it, I guess. That's right. You got in right on the cutoff. Okay, Scott, thank you. This is a very disturbing case. Um, we're going to get into it. I just wanted to say hello. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, you'll walk us through the particulars sure. of this grisly case. Uh, and um, and then we'll find out a little bit about this podcast that is uh, it debuted this month or is debuting this month. on debuted on Monday. On Monday. There you go. So, Suspect conven- Convictions, the producer, Scott Reeder, right, with a, right here with us on The Conspiracy Show. We'll come back. With more, and it will also reveal the contents of the box. What's in the box? Hashtag TCS Remote. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740. Or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Scott Reeder is with us, the producer of a brand new podcast, debuts Monday. Suspect Convictions. And uh, Scott, um, this is a case that, gate, that uh, dates back, uh, well, it's over a quarter century now, 1990, uh, Rock Island, New York, or sorry, Rock Island, Illinois. Uh, now, there's, they, they, you refer to the Quad Cities, and they sort of straddle the uh, the um, Illinois-Iowa border, don't they? Yep. The Mississippi River uh, flows right between Rock Island, Illinois, and Moline, Illinois. 
on one side and Bettendorf, Iowa, and Davenport, Iowa on the other side. Okay, so take us uh, back to 1990 in this grisly crime scene. You were a police reporter at the time, and you arrived on the scene. And uh, just tell us what you saw, and then sort of take us through a thumbnail sketch of of the um, of the crime and the, and the trial. Sure. Uh, I was the night cop reporter for the Quad City Times. It was about 9 o'clock at night, and part of my job was to drive from one police station to another and go through all the reports and um, do those sort of things. That was a routine thing. And back in the days before cell phones, we carried these gigantic um, walkie-talkies with us. And I also carried a police scanner where I could monitor the traffic uh, going back and forth to different police cars and different communities. And I was driving down the road in downtown Davenport, Iowa, and I heard on the radio, on the police scanner, there was a um, um, small fire scene at a school playground at 9 o'clock at night. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't think much of it uh, because it was kind of a, a rough neighborhood. A lot of folks burned trash in the neighborhood and the, in the vacant lots. I just thought, oh, this is just some somebody burning some trash or doing something like that. And then all of a sudden on the other, uh, on my walkie-talkie, the uh, city editor's voice comes on and says, Scott, there's a fire at a school playground. Go check it out. And I'm kind of rolling my eyes like, oh, this is not worth going to. This is just dumb. So, but I drove up there. Uh, I was up on the top of a river bluff in Davenport, Iowa. And I got there. This is how I remember it. Now, there's some divergence in memories, you know, after 26 years, you know, you can expect that, but I got there at the same time as the first police officer. The two of us got out of our cars together, and we're walking across the playground towards where we saw some smoke rising from some tall grass on the edge of the, of the school playground. And we got about two feet from the fire, and we looked down, and instead of being a trash fire, it was a child that had been doused with gasoline and set on fire. Oh, Lord. It was the last thing in the world I expected. I just kind of reeled back, like, what on earth have I walked into? I mean, you know, I feel the bile just coming up in my throat, and I was like, kind of got weak to my knees, and like, where am I? What, what What's going on here? It was just the last thing in the world I expected. We, you know, things just kind of got stranger as the night went on. The, the fire department arrived shortly thereafter. The, the detectives were coming in um, from all over. What I remember next was the uh, firefighters walked over with um, a um, fire extinguisher with water in it. And it just like dead silence on the scene. I never seen anything like it. It was almost like watching some sort of religious anointing or something to me. Right. As they just very gently extinguished the flames on this body. And, you know, I interviewed the medical examiner who arrived next, and we're talking, and, you know, he says, I think it's a 12-year-old girl. I, I think, you know, that, that's what I could tell. Because looking at it, she was shrouded in melted plastic garbage bags and had been badly burned. So I couldn't really tell the gender of the child or anything by just looking at it. You just you know? knew it was a small person. I just knew it was a small person is all I could tell. Right. And then we had... All of a sudden, this is uh, about 9.30, all three of the local TV stations showed up, Channel 4, 6, and 8, ABC, NBC, and CBS. They set up their cameras and tripods about 
four or five feet from the body, clicked on the Klieg lights, zoomed in on the smoldering corpse, and broadcast it live into every living room in are the you, whole community of 250,000. Are I've you never kidding seen, me? Are you kidding I've never me? Seen it. Yes. I mean, I've never seen anything like this before or since, but they, it was like all judgment just got thrown to the wind, and they were literally taking the most horrible thing I have seen in my life, and I hope I ever see in my life, and sharing it with every home in that community. And that is unheard of. It is very much unheard of. I mean, I'd never witnessed it in, in any other context. So let me just then, uh, remind uh, Scott, let me just remind listeners, Scott Reeder is with us, uh, the producer of a, a brand new podcast, which debuts Monday. It's called. It actually debuted last Monday. Uh, my apologies. It debuted last Monday. It'll air again mon- ne- tomorrow. Correct? Mm-hmm. And well, it's. It's, uh, it's available on iTunes. Uh, I am happy to say that. On Saturday, it rose up to number three in the world on iTunes. All right. And it's, it's called Suspect Convictions. And um, now it also it also airs on NPR, correct? Well, I did it in, in conjunction with an NPR station. I, I was see. writing a book on the case. Um, and the story goes, I was driving down the highway with my wife. Um, and I'd been working on the book for several months. And I'm listen- we're listening to Serial. And right. I said to my wife, this is a riveting story, but my murder is so interesting, too. I bet I could do a podcast on this. It never occurred to me. So the next day, I call, picked up the phone and called up a friend that worked at an NPR station. And and, and I, before the week's out, we cut a deal to uh, create a podcast together. I have a full-time producer I'm working with who's excellent. Her name's Lacey Scarmana. And um, we pre- re- uh, spent the last several months just using um, the tapes that I uh, acquired for the book and for all the interviews I've done to okay. create this podcast. All right. So the uh, nine-year-old Rock Island girl uh, murdered and then her body horrifically, I mean, every aspect of this case is just terrible, obviously, uh, set ablaze. Now, uh, because we're tight on time, the, the, the suspect in this case, an African-American by the name of Stanley Liggins, he has been tried and con- convicted uh, twice, but both convictions overturned. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. All right. Very quickly, how how, how did the uh, police arrive at the conclusion uh, of this suspect being involved? Well, the main reason they focused on him initially was proximity. He was somebody known to the family. We found out in course room testimony uh, that uh, he had been uh, supplying cocaine to the parents for them to sell on the um, west end of Rock Island. It's a really rough area. Uh, so he had, and we also know he was a bad guy. I mean, he had served time in prison for armed robbery in, uh, in Mississippi. He, had, he was just a, a rough figure. Uh, he had stabbed a man in prison. Uh, he's been acquitted on uh, murder charges um, on grounds of self-defense. But he was a tough guy, He had, a, and he was around the family quite a bit. He was a frequent guest at their home, that sort of thing. All right, and we, we, so quite, we, should, we, we can't forget, obviously, the, the, the victim in this case, the nine-year-old girl. Do we, do we identify her? Yes, we do. All right. And, devote an entire episode to, uh, to uh, looking at her life. And who was this and poor child, who, uh, her name? Her name was Jennifer Ann Lewis, uh, a very precious child. 
she'd lived a very rough life. Um, she'd moved her, her um, she'd had several stepfathers um, in her life. They, she'd moved around quite a bit. The family was very poor. Her parents had met uh, while they were in juvenile detention in Des Moines, Iowa together. Uh, it's a very tragic story. I mean, she'd had a rough life. Um, no, no question about it. In fact, the home she was living in at the time of, she, um, of her death um, didn't have any electricity, didn't have running water. Oh, it was, it was a, it was a difficult situation. So the Ro- and, Rock Island, Illinois, the Quad Cities. This is a, this is a, a depressed area. Well, at that time, it was. Um, an area that had been extraordinarily prosperous that had suddenly hit hard times. I don't know if you remember when the, when the, it's a, it's a classic Rust Belt community. The farm economy fell out, fell, the bottom fell out of the farm economy in the late eighties, early nineties. And suddenly, um, this, this community that manufactured lots of farm equipment had people who were making very good money were unemployed. The community was struggling a bit, but it's it's a it's a very nice community. I uh, I lived there for ten years and I very much liked it. Scott Reeder um, is with us, former police reporter and the producer of Suspect Convictions, a brand new podcast uh, produced in conjunction with uh, NPR, and it airs Mondays. Uh, and we'll tell you a little later again how to get a hold of the podcast, how to subscribe. Suspect Convictions. And it involves the um, this horrific criminal uh, case involving a the the horrific murder of a poor nine year old uh, girl in Rock Island, and uh, the man uh, ultimately arrested, Stanley Liggins, uh, has been tried and convicted twice. Both convictions overturned. Now I have to ask you, Scott, how up here in Canada, uh, when there is a trial going on, often there is there's usually a, there's a media blackout. You can't discuss the uh, the case. Um, how is it that you're able to to serialize this while the case is going on? I mean, there, there's going to be a hearing in February, perhaps a, a verdict in June, and yet you're, you're producing this serial. Well, the U.S. law on this is very much different than it is in Canada or the United Kingdom, for that matter. Um, one of the things that's a guarantee to the U.S. Constitution, in fact, is a public trial. Mm-hmm. which means that uh, what our U.S. Supreme Court has um, interpreted to mean that justice is best dispensed in a very public manner. So there's no restrictions on media coverage, on trials, that sort of thing. Um, so it's very, it's very much standard practice to report on a um, – suspect before trial, that sort of thing, which I know in Canada is not so common. Right. Well, yeah, to be honest with you, I prefer, I prefer the way you do it down there. I, I, I believe, I, I agree. I think that justice um, not only needs to be done, it needs to be seen to be done. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think people have a right, obviously, to, um, you know, to partake in that system, even if they're not you know, sitting in the courtroom at the time. Uh, so, again, Stanley Liggins was um, arrested. Did you say that he was he was selling drugs to this poor girl's parents because they were they were yeah, kind of small time dealers? Supply, according to their testimony in the first trial, he was supplying cocaine to them for them to sell for, uh, sell for him on the west end of Rock Island, and then they would provide the cash back to him. So they, right. he was kind of their broker, um, so to speak, to to um, 
to get it out to them in, in, into the community. Now, this is before DNA testing, uh, I believe. Yeah, it was just very much at the very, very beginning of DNA testing. It was not a common practice right. by any means of right. time. So he had opportunity. Um, he had access, as you say, so opportunity because he was known to the family. He lived in mm-hmm. close proximity. What about motive? Well, we, we know that this little girl had been sexually assaulted, and we know that um, she had been strangled, and then, and of course, doused with gasoline and set on fire. So the assumption has always been that the motive for kidnapping the child and sexually assaulting her was, was sexual in right. nature. Right. This is a, a sexual homicide. Um, but, you know, so that's the assumption on it. So, as I was saying, the, the prosecutors and the police focused in on Stanley very early on. Um, he agreed to take a polygraph test. He took it, and I'm told by the police that he did not pass it. And at that point, they really focused in on him. And the, the problem is there wasn't a lot of evidence against him. I mean, other than he had proximity and he was not a good person, but... There wasn't a lot as far as witnesses, that sort of thing. Uh, the prosecutor, uh, who I know well, said, you know, I asked everybody in my office, should we charge this guy? And he said, almost everybody in the office said, no way. There's not enough evidence against him. He said, but you know, I a- answer to the voters in, in the United States. Mm-hmm. In every state but New Jersey, the prosecutors are elected. And he said, I felt like... I was accountable to them, and I needed to get this guy off the streets. So he charged him. Now, this is where it gets a little bit weird. Um, about three days after they charge him, a witness comes forward, and she says that she saw taillights near, near the fire. She didn't know if there was a crime going on there. She just knew there was a fire. She looked out the window of the house that she was at that day, about two blocks from the a school playground. And she said she'd recognize those taillights anywhere. Flash forward to the first trial. The police roll in the back half of this guy's car. And when the jury comes in, they pull off the, um, the shroud on top of it like they're unveiling a statue. They turn the lights off. There's lots of drama to this. And they... Uh, use a little motorcycle battery to turn on the taillight. The woman's sitting there on the on the witness stand. She points at the uh, taillights and said, "I'd recognize those anywhere." And she became the key witness. You know, the person who saw the taillights that um, compelled. You know, the jurors were just riveted by. And she's for the de- she's a witness for the defense, correct? No, she's a witness for the prosecution. Oh, for the prosecution. Ah. I recognize the taillights of the car that the, the defendant was driving. Okay. That had to be his car. It had to be him. Ah. So she became the, a lot, when talking to jurors that were involved in the case, they put a lot of credibility in this woman. Because she, you know, uh, there, was no, there was a perception she had no reason to, to, to lie about it. I mean, and what we find out 20 years later, what was never disclosed to the defense or to um, the jurors, of course, was this woman had been on the, before the trial, had been a paid police informant. In fact, she'd been paid, I think it was something like 87, 88 times. Uh, and according to the, um, 
appellate court uh, or briefs for the appellate court, the detective that had uh, been in charge of the murder investigation had signed the vouchers for uh, these um, uh, pay- payments to her. Okay, so, I got to jump in here, Scott. We'll, we're going to sure. take a timeout. So, sure. uh, Stanley Liggins accused of murdering nine-year-old Jennifer Ann Lewis, this poor child whose life, horrible life, cut brutishly short, Rock Island, Illinois, and uh, now a, uh, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling this story. Scott Reeder, the producer, with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. From Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zoomer Radio. All right, uh, welcome back. We'll get back to our conversation with Scott Reeder. He is uh, producing a five-part or has produced a five-part podcast uh, series uh, produced in conjunction with a Quad City uh, public radio station, an NPR station. They're exploring new questions in an old murder case. Uh, the podcast is called Suspect Convictions, and it takes a look at the 1990 murder trial of a nine-year-old girl, Jennifer Lewis of Rock Island, Illinois, and the man twice convicted of her abduction, rape, and murder. Uh, before we get to that, uh, Albert, uh, do we, what do we have on, uh, on the uh, Twitter, Twitter. Uh, for uh, hashtag TCS Remote? What's have, in the box? Sally says a deck of cards. She says like a, a dark rectangle about a quarter inch in width and height, and mm-hmm. she says a deck of cards. Nope. Uh, Kula Ellison says Schrodinger's cat. Uh, <laughs> All right. Is it dead? Is it alive? We're not sure. Okay, next. Uh, Ricardo says it's a stapler. All right. Um, Mike R. says an ice scraper. Okay. And uh, Anonymous says it's hope. Like <laughs> right, Pandora's, Pandora's box. box. There you go. <laughs> and a person named Tony says a woman's head. Oh, Lord. That's just... Okay, I wish I hadn't read that one. All right. Uh, you know, we're going to have to do a remote uh, remote crash course and remote viewing on this program, I think. All right. Reveal what's in the box. Nobody was even uh, close. Okay. Hold on. I'll take it off Twitter. And- All right. Albert's running the camera, and uh, there we go. All right. Let's see. Oh. There we go. An airplane. Yes, a it's toy. a toy, a toy a, airplane. Yeah, toy jet, a right. U.S. flag on it. One of my little guys threw that in there and said, "Here, Daddy, see if they can guess this one." Okay, uh, that's it. we'll we'll try it again next week. What's in the box? Again, you use the hashtag TCS Remote. Thanks for all uh, for playing at home, and uh, let's get back to Scott Reader. Okay, Scott, the the case. Um, I mean, it ended in a conviction, right? How many how many jurors? Twelve jurors. Twelve jurors, and the makeup of the jury. The jury, all white. What I wanted to tell you, though, is this woman made the testimony. We don't find out for twenty more years. Oh, this was the paid, paid police, police informant. The the paid yes. police informant. Yes. Sure. And we also found out twenty years later that the police had uh, apparently sat on 
um, plate, about 78 police reports. Now, the prosecution swears up and down that they were turned over. The uh, defense swears up and down they didn't get it. A court in Iowa determined that, no, they did not get it. But in the police reports were was one particular report that struck my attention. And this is according to what was in court documents. There was a woman that came forward to the police the day Jennifer was the day after Jennifer's body was found, and she said, "Hey, um, now I stress this is an allegation. It has not been verified. It may be true. It may not be true. But this was in the report that was not there was the court said was not turned over. She said, "I buy cocaine from this girl's stepfather, and." I, she said, um, I didn't have enough money to buy cocaine last week, the week before the murder. So she said she went to the uh, police and offered up her uh, video camera, or went to the, to the dealer, I'm sorry, and offered up her video camera and said, hey, um, I'll give you this as collateral if you give me the cocaine now, and when I have the money, I'll give you the money back, give, you the, give it to you, and then you can give me the camera back. And she alleges that he told her, this is the girl's stepfather, I could use this to take pornographic photos with me and my stepdaughter. Oh. Well, it's worse and worse. It's a bizarre thing to say, but it's a curious thing for it to come out so soon. This is before it became public in the community that the girl has been sexually assaulted or anything else. It's a very interesting thing that is to be coming out and um that was a, it's something that certainly raises some serious questions i'll say to say the least yeah i say um, I mean, so and, that was one of the things one of the, so they the iowa courts looked at this and said hey this should have been disclosed that this woman was on the police payroll it should have been disclosed these reports should have been turned over because of this, we're going to give a whole new trial for this, this defendant. Right. And, Let me ask you, and, before we get to the second trial, um, uh, now Liggins, was he not also um, charged with molesting another nine-year-old girl like a month before? That's correct. If she was another nine-year-old girl. In Milan, which is in the same area, right? Actually, uh, in, in, in Illinois... We pronounce it uh, in an odd way. We say Milan. Milan. Okay. M-I-L-N. I, I said Milan, as in is it, as in yeah. Spain. As in Italy. But Italy. Yeah. Sorry, Milan, Italy. Right. Yeah. But uh, yes, uh, he was charged. Uh, he was out on five thousand dollars bail at the time, and then um, this is another reason why the police focused in on him real quickly. Sure. I mean, yes, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence, but on the face of it, it looks almost like an open and shut case. Almost. I mean, well, if you go by the issue of proximity and the issue of character, yes, that's, you, you, would, you would think that would focus more towards him. But when you look at evidence of, a, of any particular person actually having done it, there were no witnesses that said they saw him do it. Right. There were there was no DNA evidence. There was a lot of things that you would. They they took over ten thousand forensic samples from the crime scene, from this guy's uh, uh, hotel room where he is living, 
from the car that he was driving. They found absolutely nothing linking him to Jennifer Lewis. Uh, what kind of a so, defense did he mount? Was did he have a, a a public defender? Was it provided for him, or, or? yeah, he has. He was provided with a public defender. I would say both of his uh, attorneys uh, were superb. I mean, uh, one shortly after he um, uh, defended this case, he went on to become a judge, served twenty years as a judge, mm-hmm. and uh, was very well respected. Uh, the other attorney in the, for the second trial. Also very well respected in the community, a very experienced uh, uh, attorney as well. So he had very good uh, legal counsel. I think. Did Did Liggins take the stand? No, he did not. Neither trial. All right, we'll take a time out. Scott Reeder stays with us, former police reporter and the producer of a five part podcast a serial, true true crime podcast serial called Suspect Convictions. Available Mondays. The first one aired last Monday. And uh, you can uh, listen in on iTunes, and we'll tell you also how to uh, how else to uh, subscribe. Suspect convictions. Producer Scott Reeder back with more in a moment on the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Where there's smoke, there's the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Loose lips sink ships. And sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. Uh, programming note next week on the, uh, the big show. The big transmission, Mitch Batros from the Science of Cycles. Uh, we'll talk about uh, earthquakes and uh, climate change. I had him uh, on Coast to Coast with me uh, a couple of weeks ago, and um, we did uh, three hours. Terrific, terrific program. And so I thought I'd bring him back on this, uh, this program. And uh, again, that's Mitch Batros uh, from the Science of Cycles. And uh, then the following week, we'll talk about grow- how to grow food on Mars with a, a gentleman from the University of Guelph, how to grow food on Mars. All right, I'm just trying to figure out how to grow tomatoes in my backyard, never mind the red planet. However, uh, we are with uh, Scott Reeder, who is the producer of a five-part podcast series, True Crime. It's called Suspect Convictions, and uh, this is a, a horrific case going back to 1990, the uh, the murder of uh, Jennifer Lewis of Rock Island, Illinois, and the man twice convicted of her abduction, rape, and murder, Stanley Liggins, an African-American. Uh, now, the did it come out in the first trial? Uh, the first conviction was overturned because there was information. One of the key witnesses turned out to be a police informant. Uh, in which trial, uh, Scott, was it revealed that one of the jurors or one of the witnesses was a white supremacist? Well, it was never revealed. I found it out. Oh, uh, you found um, that out. Yep. I was, I, one of the things I went back to is I, I went and started interviewing jurors to find out what they considered important and what they, you know, why, how they came to the, the uh, verdict. And I noticed that there was a um, white South African who had just recently immigrated to the United States on the, on the, on the first jury. And I thought that was curious. Because you got to remember, this is 1990, right after the end of apartheid in uh, South Africa. 
And I thought, well, okay, what's this guy doing in the United States? I mean, what prompted him to immigrate, that sort of thing? That was curious to me. So I called him up. He's now living in Florida. And we got to talking, and he goes, he's got this thick South African accent, and we're chatting. And I said, I got to ask you, because you're from South Africa, you know, do you consider yourself a racist? And he goes, oh, no, no. I think that blacks worldwide have gotten a, have gotten a bad lot in life. I mean, they've, they've been treated badly. And he's explained to me that, you know, no, he's not racist. And then he adds that we all originated from Africa. You know, our skin was all, all of our skin was originally black. And then he explains that some people migrated out of Africa to Europe and their skin became paler. And their brains became larger. And he's explaining this to me. And he said, he said, so and he's explaining how that the Europeans had become more sophisticated and more intelligent. And I'm going, oh gosh, we got a problem here. I'm thinking. Right. And then, then I say, then I say to him, well, what about this witness that testified? Uh, you know, if you had known that she was a police informant uh, and was on the police payroll. Would you have would it changed your opinion on things? And she, he said something to the effect of, oh, no, because, you see, she's African, she's black, and black people don't scheme against other black people. Ah, they just scheme right. against white people. Right, right. Going, Did you get this okay. on tape? Did you get it on tape? Got it all on tape. Okay. But, guys, get this. Not only was he on the jury, so was his wife. Is that allowed? I've talked to so many defense attorneys, they go, what? That's the strangest thing they'd ever heard. I mean, it's bizarre. I've never heard of a case like this. And I don't know how that happens. This is a good-sized community, too. It's a community of a quarter million. And it's not like it's a tiny little town in Iowa where the odds might be that you would have that happen. This is a good-sized metropolitan area. Right. Scott, we've only got a few minutes minutes left here. Um, The second trial that was over the conviction, he was found guilty again, Uh uh, and then that was overturned. Uh, Were there any new witnesses, any new evidence, and then ultimately what overturned this conviction? Well, the first conviction was overturned because it came out that he had been uh, providing cocaine to the family. They said that that would be too prejudicial to the the jurors to hear that. They also said that he should have had a change of venue because of the intense media publicity in the community. Second trial, they overturned the conviction because they it never it was disclosed that this uh, woman was a police informant, and they said that they uh, there were seventy eight uh, police reports that were withheld from the defense. Okay, that was and, the second trial. I see. Okay, so the first yes. trial that was so the conviction overturned was because it was revealed. The accused, Liggins, had sold drugs to the uh, parents of poor Jennifer Lewis. Uh, I mean, why would that be considered prejudicial? Why wouldn't that be considered pertinent to the case? I mean, because that points to access to the family and possible possible motive. That would be my um, presumption as well. I mean, I think it, it, it gives context to the relationship with the family. But the Iowa Supreme Court found otherwise and said no. That was that's, uh, unnecessary prejudicial information, and uh, that's why we're giving him a new trial. All right. So Stanley Liggins, uh, did he actually serve any time before the before it was overturned? The conviction has he served any time? Years. Oh, he's been in jail the whole time. 
He's been in jail the whole time. How could that be if if each conviction was overturned? They immediately charge him again, and um, you know. And what about double? What about double jeopardy? Well, there hasn't been double jeopardy in 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 play because the the uh, he's never been acquitted of the crime. He's he's been uh, found guilty. The uh, each time the the courts will say, okay, he deserves a new trial because the first one was handled poorly. And they'll, they'll have it again and again. And, and a lot of times in, in jurisdictions, especially if it comes up for a third trial or something, they'll say, let's not try it. We'll just see if we can get a plea deal. In this particular case, no plea deal is being sought by the prosecutors. They're, just, they, they, they're, they're, they're determined to have a conviction because they believe this is the man who did this. And so, yeah, um, uh, there's no jeopardy in place because um, – He's never been uh, been acquitted of the crime. You can't just keep. If he'd been acquitted, then the, the, it all it would all be over, and there's a double jeopardy in play. But right. if he's been convicted, you can you can have repeated trials to see if there's an acquittal eventually. Okay, so as as a police reporter, someone who's covered this case intently, who's writing a book about it, who's now produced a five part uh, podcast series on it. I mean. Um, what is your what are your feelings about this case? Is is there any compelling evidence? Uh, that Stanley Liggins is not guilty. Well, of course, that's not the standard. The standard is you're presumed innocent. True. And I think the question that comes to mind is you have you have this police report that seems to be pointing away for him, uh, seems to indicate perhaps some bad conduct by the stepfather, who's missing, by the way. Um, he's last seen... Uh, um, Less known to be homeless in New Orleans, I drove down there twice and uh, hunted for him with uh, and showed his photo around Skid Row and soup kitchens and all kinds of places. Lots of folks recognized him, but we never found him. Were were, were his stepfather and mother were or sorry were Ann, um, Jennifer Lewis's um, stepfather and mother present during the trial? They both testified in the the first and second trials. Okay. All right. So just give us a, a, just a, a taste of how this podcast series sort of flows together. The first, sure. the first episode, which aired last Monday, was about the sort of the crime scene, this horrible tragedy I, in the schoolyard. Actually, I chose to launch with all five of them on, the first, on Monday. Ah. So if somebody wants to binge, they can, they can listen to them all, all at once. Okay. And we're going to have more coming out each week. Looking at the case, this next week we're going to talk to a bunch of criminal profilers and other people, and that's going to come out um, probably later um, this week or early next. Uh, and it'll, it'll have, and we'll look at things that characteristics of the people who would likely do something like this, and see if Stanley Liggins fits that bill or not, and look at um, other people perhaps as well. So that's some of the things we're looking at. But we first, the first episode, we look at the crime itself. The second episode, we look at the life of Jennifer Lewis. And I think that's really important. Absolutely. That's why I'm doing this, because her life counts. You know, you think about John Benet Ramsey or Elizabeth Smart, the, the girl who was kidnapped in Utah. What made their, why the media got focused on them was because they were from wealthy families. This child was from a very poor family. But her life is every bit as precious as a child from a, from a wealthy family. So we're looking at this because 
her life mattered. So the third episode, we, we look at, um, I believe it's at, uh, focusing on the uh, evidence of the case. The fourth episode, we look at Stanley Liggins' life, and we also take a look at the stepfather. And, the, you know, the fifth episode, we, we start looking, we build towards the case itself and, and look at a lot of the issues involved with that. And then the sixth episode, we're going to look at the psychological aspects. And just stuff. We're going to build on it, and we're going to try to do something like you're doing right now, where you're, uh, where we have a panel and we have a discussion about the case, and we're going to take field questions on social media from, from listeners, and do a whole lot of different things like this. So, All right, yeah, I, was, I was very excited about it. Well, you're right. We 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 cannot forget uh, Jennifer Lewis, uh, the victim in this horrible crime. Twenty six, um, uh, going on twenty seven years later, uh, she cannot be forgotten. Uh, I'll, I'll, a very tragic life, and, and then cut brutishly short. Only nine years old. Uh, do you? Uh, we're just very. We're almost finished here. But is do you interview uh, Liggins, Stanley Liggins? Is he in the podcast? Well, I interviewed him 26 years ago when I was a young police reporter. He wouldn't cooperate uh, this time around. He didn't want to talk. So i ha- I have some impressions of him from when I interviewed him twenty six years ago, but I don't have uh, have um, have him in the podcast itself we got but we did go and get uh, from a local television station recordings from interviews they had done with him twenty six years ago so okay we have his voice in throughout this, this podcast we very quickly got, done very, very quickly Scott, how do people uh, get the podcast? They can go to iTunes and look for suspectconvictions.com, or they can. Most other platforms that offer a, a podcast also have it. Or you can just simply go to suspectconvictions.com, and you can get it there. Scott, so thank you so much. The name is Scott. Sus- thank, Sus- you. thank you for having me. Suspectconvictions.com. Thank you, Scott Reader. All right, my website strangeplanet.ca. Hey, don't forget the all new theconspiracyshow.com. TheConspiracyShow.com for the uh, you fans of the TV show. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. Follow the truth. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. On Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Your long-haul truck, taxi, RV, camper. Your parents' basement, your loft. That greasy spoon just off the interstate and your cabin in the woods. A special hello to all of you listening in on our flagship station right here in Toronto. The Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto. Zoomer Radio. AM 740, 50,000 watts of peace, love, and truth, and uh, 96.7 FM. Uh, A big hi to all of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations. And, uh, of course, the podcast, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn.com, iTunes, and TalkZone.com. And uh, someone mentioned that uh, iTunes, uh, the oh, it was you, Albert. You mentioned uh, a while ago that um, the uh, iTunes podcast hadn't been updated since before Christmas, I think. So um, I got to look into that. But if one isn't up, the others are. You can always go to TalkZone.com and rest assured it's posted usually, I'd say, within two, three days 
of the airing of this program. And, of course, then you can simply get the app. You can listen in on uh, Zuma Radio's terrific app or the Conspiracy Show app, both free downloads. And uh, the Conspiracy Show app, of course, you can go back and listen to... Uh, uh, to our audio archives. Uh, and uh, for those of you joining us on our HOA, our Hangout On Air, uh, if you want to uh, stream this program live on YouTube, it's very simple. Just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, S as in Simon, Y-R-E-T-T, Rich, at Richard Serrett, and go to the top or near the top of the feed, and you'll find a tweet containing an HOA link just says HOA in big capital letters. Just click on it, and you're in. And you get to see this in all its glory. Sorry. <laughs> Can't do much about that. Um, what else did I want to... Oh, so anyway, however you're listening and wherever you're listening, I bid the uh, the finest of welcomes, and I, uh, I welcome for your tremendous company. Uh, Ian Robertson is here. Ian, your, um, what's your rockabilly band's name again? I keep forgetting. The Grease Marks. The Grease Marks. Yeah. You've got two. What's the other one called? Uh, the Ruthless Ones. The Ruthless Ones and the Grease Marks. Yep. All right. And uh, are you playing? Are you gigging anywhere around town? We yeah, need to know about. Yeah, we're playing the Great Hall on January twenty-first. The Great Hall. That's on King Street um, uh, West. It's on Queen Street. Near, Queen Street. Uh, Lansdowne, I believe. Queen and Lansdowne. I know the the venue. It's a yeah. it's a beautiful old building. Yeah, the Great Hall. Hall. Now, who's playing there? The Grease Marks or the Ruthless Ones? Grease Marks. What happens if uh, the two bands are, like, booked in two separate uh, venues? <laughs> I try to do my best with the calendars. <laughs> All right. You run across, across town. And you play uh, guitar? Yeah. It's not a flying V. Gibson guitar, is it? No. no. I know. I tell you. A Telecaster. A Telecaster. Ah. All right. And you play Rockabilly? Yeah. Both bands? No. The other band's a punk ska band. A punk ska band. Yeah. If you can imagine The Clash, that's what we are. Wonderful. Yeah. That's the Grease Marks or the Ruthless Ones? Which one? Is Ska. Oh, Ruthless Ones. The Ruthless Ones. All right, now give us the date again for the Great Hall. January 21st. Jan 21st, the Great Hall here in Toronto. That's Queen Street and Lansdowne. And what time? Uh, midnight. Midnight. There's a bunch of bands playing. It's going to be a good night. All right. Yeah. What do you just pay at the door? Yep. All right. And cheap beer, I'm okay. guessing. All right, behave yourself. All right, and uh, Albert Venzel, my uh, sometimes uh, remote viewer and my very capable... Story producer, Albert, do you have anything to plug? Are you playing the Sands next week or, or uh, Yuck Yucks or something? What are you doing? Uh, no. <laughs> Just hanging out. Just hanging out. All right. And uh, my intern who uh, helps produce my weekly radio feature, Strange Planet, and uh, a former student of mine at Durham College Broadcasting. I picked him out of thousands. He was uh, very, he's a very capable young man. Ryan White, good to see you. You as well as always. Thank you. Now, you're a YouTuber or something, aren't you? You're a gamer. Yeah, I, I stream fairly regularly on Twitch.tv. So Twitch. See my TV. streams there. What do you and and what do you uh, what do you stream? I stream you... some old Nintendo sixty four video game play. Oh, get out of town! Oh yeah, it's always a great time. Always have uh, some some nice people coming to check it out. And uh... you get a big audience online for that. Oh yeah, a few, a few hundred people usually. Yeah. And so they're watching you what play Pong by Coleco or something. Play, play Goldeneye or Mario or Zelda, and uh, yeah, it's a great time. Good for you. So, so how do you how do people watch you on Twitch TV? Well, similarly, you you were mentioning how to check out your Twitter. You just go to for me, you go to twitch.tv slash rwhite, like the color, and goose, like the Canadian bird. And uh, you'll find me there. Do it again, please. R white, 
Goose, just as it sounds. R White Goose. Yes, on Twitch.tv. There you go. All right. See, other people have things going on, Albert. Come on now. Got to get something to to, uh, to plug on the show. All right. You know, it's uh, that time of the program or that time of the year when we kind of look ahead to 2017 and, uh, you know, try to read the tea leaves. Well, I could try, but I wouldn't get anywhere. Uh, That's not my my profession. But uh, this gentleman, uh, this is his profession. Few do it better. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, he is uh, known as a trance clairvoyant, a spiritual healer, teacher, published author. Uh, His latest books include... Conversations with the Akashic Record, and a brand new book, uh, Avatar, The Secret Life of Jesus Christ. He's also known as Canada's Edgar Casey and the Man with X-Ray Eyes. Uh, he demonstrates many of the abilities studied, studied by noetic sciences, including clairvoyance, telepathy, energy healing, remote viewing, prediction, and prophecy. And he is one of a select few able to demonstrate all of these abilities and even fewer who are considered a reliable information source. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year to you, Richard. It's uh, my first time on the uh, uh, Hangout on Air uh, through the computer. I got my speakerphone over here going, so this is all new technology to, uh, to me. I hope it works. Of course it works. Of course it works. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, Now, you missed out on our our What's in the Box segment, and um, uh, next time we get you on, you're going to participate in that. I know you're you're tired. We caught you sort of, uh, um, you know, you had to race home from another venue, and you've been teaching your course. Uh, and so, but, but I'm going to put the arm on you next time we have you on. We'll, uh, we'll get you involved in our what's in the box. But I got to tell you, Albert, who has been studying the protocols of remote viewing, and I, I, ha- I hate to tell tales out of school, Albert, but Albert needs some help. He's like one for ten. Um, what is Albert, you know, I know what Albert's doing wrong because I've talked to you about this. He doesn't allow the object to sort of form in his mind. He just blurts out an answer. He goes, oh, it's a candlestick. And I say, Albert, just talk about the, the shape and the texture. Don't, don't guess. Right? That's what he's doing wrong. Am, am well, I- um, since we've uh, uh, been on my show and we started this a couple of years ago, this same remote viewing experiment every week on my blog talk show, you did exceptionally well. And that's exactly right. Uh, intellectually, when you jump, uh, you're going from the contemplative mind to the rational mind. And what you want to do is get in the middle or the middle mind, and that's the mind that allows the clairvoyance or the clear seeing to uh, take place. And I heard the show earlier where you have something in a box, right? Right, right. It's, well, a, it's a humidor. Show, show the, uh, the folks the box again. It's, it's an old cigar humidor. Okay. Well, that is the first mistake. Why? Because you're now sending somebody to look for a thing in a box. It's dark in there. And the first thing that the mind would see would be a box. What you want is uh, somebody like me who does the X-ray vision, where you're looking inside something. Well, isn't that uh, what remote viewing is, though? Show, and I always do it. I put it on the corner of my desk, and I put it in plain view. It's not. Uh, uh, I don't have the hang-up, uh, hangout rather, but it's in plain view, and I look at it, and I can see it, and anybody uh, coming remote viewing can see it. So it's kind of like you're saying, I want you to go somewhere with your intuitive mind 
and view something, and then you're going to hide it. So it's my fault. That's the first mistake. It's my fault. No, no. Okay, well, <laughs> what you should do is put it somewhere where Albert can't see it. Right. <laughs> you know, in a closet, uh, someplace where it's out in the open, not concealed. Well, and yeah, but I thought, excuse me, that. Douglas, but I thought, I thought that was the whole idea with remote viewing, that, that, that you're supposed to be able to detect things that are hidden from view. So nope. let's, let's say, for example, you were trying to find a hostage. When uh, you're trying to find something and it's in the ground, or you're trying to look in somebody's uh, chest, as I do, and I'm very famous for it, right. if they have some problem in their heart, you are going, uh, the vision goes like this, okay, to be... Now that we have this television sort of thing, the vision is like this. And so when you get to the box, you stop it. I remember on one of our shows, it was snowstorming outside. And the snow was blowing. This is on Hamilton Beach at the Mini Mansion Center. And a lady called in, and she described the object on my desk as one of those little ornaments that has a lot of snowflakes inside when you shake it. Ah, she was seeing the snow outside. She was seeing the snow outside. She was looking from above the mansion down at the center, and she said, I see a little house, and it's in a snowstorm. She was actually absolutely correct, because she was viewing it from above, which in this situation, people who practice remote viewing, you're going to see something. So I would take it out of the box, and I would, a couple of pointers, don't make it complicated, have one color and one shape. That little airplane you had tonight, I saw it as purple something when, when you were talking, and it looked like this to me, okay? It was, it was mismatched, so I couldn't make it out. The point being was that, wait, is it purple or blue? It's gray. It's, okay, blue, gray, gray, blue, purple. See, that's, if you get it to a, a specific color, and that one you did so fantastic on my show, right. was we had a little travel clock, like about this, size of a donut, and you actually said it looks like a donut, and you could see it as an orangey color. You were, it wasn't red, it wasn't color, it was kind of orange, and it was, it was off. It's the one you get at the dollar store, which is kind of like a, a rosy red color, or orange. And then you went further, and you said you saw white and some black lines. You were right. actually looking at the face of the clock. That's right. See that, Albert? Did- I was brilliant. <laughs> you were amazing. I, I was ready to hang up the shingle and let my clients go over and see you. After. That's right. And then I retired after that. Oh, uh, one for one. <laughs> it's amazing. But, uh, again, Albert's copying the experiment. Don't hide it. Put it, on a, put it in a plain view and then send people to a specific location. I didn't hear you say, it's on my desk, it's the corner. You just said, look. Well, that's not good enough. You have to say look here, and the subconscious or middle mind now has direction. The other way is to say, like, okay, tell me something about myself. Wow, a person is like a universe. And we talk about that in the Akashic uh, Records about this. Every, there's comments that we made about everybody at the end of the session, and we basically said to the intuitive mind, which is in a sleep state or sleeping meditation, tell us something about this person. But it was specific to that person, and this whole book has generic information specifically to people, but it's about them in a general view. So in that instance, it was specific, and it let people see things. Okay. You tell somebody to go look at something, you say, look here at the corner of my desk or on the shelf, 
make Albert, you know, wear a blinder or something that he he, he can't see it when you put, you know, hide it or put it out of out of his view. But be specific. Send them to that thing and then make it I, one color. I gotcha. All right. shape that's simple. Triangulars, rectangular circles, and then what'll happen is as we teach the course, which I did in Hamilton, how that how to be like at your case your Ross Peterson, Paul Solomon or myself, last of the sleeping prophets, is that the person goes and colors the shape form in the view. Got it. Okay, I got a break, Douglas. The takeaway here is it's all my fault. Albert, Mia Culpa, my fault. We'll uh, we'll remedy that. Except now, you know, I love that title for the segment. What's in the box? Now I got to say, what's over here on the corner of the desk? But you still can't see it. That <laughs> doesn't quite work. <laughs> anyway, we'll figure it out. Sorry, Albert. Douglas Cottrell, Doctor Douglas James Cottrell, stays with us. Back with his predictions for 2017. We'll also open up the phone lines, questions, and comments for Canada's Edgar Casey. Back with more. Don't go away. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. And uh, we are back with Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, remote viewer and uh, trans clairvoyant. His uh, new book is Avatar, The Secret Life of Jesus Christ, and previously, uh, Conversations with the Akashic Field. We talked about that uh, the last time Douglas was on the program. Uh, Before we get into predictions for 2017, Douglas, tell us about Avatar, The Secret Life of Jesus Christ. Right. It's it's our newest book. I'm not sure if you can see it, but it's, uh, I'm looking at the uh, collage of pictures here. Boy, that's taking me back. Uh, Spain and uh, the Pope's chair I was sitting in there. My gosh, where'd you get those pictures from? Wow. Uh, that's Elbert's work, yes. I'm not Albert, sure. Elbert, uh, I'll buy you a coffee. That's amazing. Very good. And the Avatar, uh, The Secret Life of Jesus Christ, this is the book that... Hold it up again, because you're on, uh, you're on uh, the screen. Hold uh, it up. I can't see the screen, but I can see myself. There yeah, just hold it up. I got it up. There you do. Okay, good, good. All right. So okay, tell us about it. Uh, it's a $50 book, uh, and Doug's got it on for $30, forty nine ninety five for dollars uh, for twenty nine ninety five just right now. Uh, it's a Christmas sale, Boxing Sale Week extended. This is our newest book. Um, this was a, a labor of love. Uh, I'm really a Christian man. I'm a minister, uh, but I'm a minister of uh, uh, what might be considered several religions. It's a multi-denominational rather than an interdenominational uh, uh, ministry, but it's spiritual healing and, of course, all the uh, spiritual gifts in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and that was guided my life. And this particular book talks about the secret times when Jesus, you know, Jesus became the Christ. Uh, his cousin John the Baptist was the one that uh, baptized him in the River Jordan, and that's when he was initiated, if you will, when the Holy Spirit came upon him. 
And we talk about the hidden years and how he tried to uh, uh, find where the hidden tribes were. It talks about how he uh, approached his miracles and how he was a young man. He was kind of shamed into produ- uh, to uh, producing that first miracle. You know, it's the one with when Mummy came along and said, "Hey, son, you know we're running out of wine in the back. Can you, can you do your thing and turn some water into wine?" The wedding at Cana, right? And he reluctantly did so. And he also told his mummy, "said Hey, Mary, meaning Mother Mary, uh, Mum, this is before my time. I'm not supposed to do this That's yet." That's right. So. It talks about those the mystical side of Jesus. If, if you want to find out more about the hidden years, what happened, about the dreams and the angels that guided uh, the Holy Family, this is the book to get. And uh, it's it's a well-done book. It looks terrific, and it's uh, uh, so far being well-received. Avatar, The Secret Life of Jesus, Jesus. Christ. Uh, Dr. Jesus Doug- the Christ is what I like to call him. So... Um, that particular book uh, talks, or sorry, that particular concept, Jesus always spoke about the future. He made predictions, and it talks about them as well. Now, was this book, like your others, written while you were in a in a quantum meditative state and dictated to Douglas Jr.? Right. We've uh, a lawyer friend of ours in Michigan, Rebecca, came up with the term sleeping meditation, and that comes from the sleeping prophet, uh, uh, as as Edgar Casey was referred to. Sleeping meditation is in a state of almost like a hypnotic state. You're in a in-between world. You're one foot on earth and one foot on heaven, as my mentor Ross Peterson determined it. So in this situation, yes, uh, this part of me is kind of sleeping. Uh, It's the ego being set aside and the personality and allowing the uh, powerful, intuitive, spiritual mind to come through that minded in the Bible, uh, they call it being in the spirit. So you're in a, a state of alternate, altered consciousness uh, and uh, for a prolonged time, about 45 minutes to an hour. That's about as long as I can go. The heart rate slows down, the respiration slows down, so the oxygen content's kind of low. And so it wears you out over the years. This is 40, 45 years I've been doing it. I've done more than 50,000 sessions. But the point being is that you're in that state and anybody can get there. And as Albert's trying to, he's trying to tap into that uh, alpha level or that that clairvoyant level and he will as he persists you get into uh, a deeper and deeper state of awareness or consciousness ultimately to the point where you're so relaxed you're kind of almost talking in your sleep but the point is to set the intuitive mind as uh, sorry the intellectual mind aside the rational mind with your logic and all those other things like reasoning and deductive and discernment, and get into the contemplative mind, which is where all the spiritual gifts uh, are there. Telepathy, premonition, precognition, prediction, prophecy, uh, remote viewing, mind projection, etc. All right, let's uh, let's get into a prediction for 2017. Uh, let's start um, on the geopolitical stage, because there is so much uh, going on in the world, whether it's... Uh, uh, saber-rattling between the United States and the outgoing uh, Barack Obama administration and uh, Syria, of course, North Korea, uh, Iran. I, I don't know where to begin. Let's, let's start with North Korea. Uh, well, because okay. to, to my uh, mind, this I is... I believe North Korea uh, was the primary um, hacker of the uh, U.S. election not necessarily the Russians. I think they collaborated, or not collaborated, but there was some sort of parallel. 
I had a vision, and I think I said it on your show or in a coast-to-coast one, where sometime in the past where I saw people in New York typing away on computers in a big glass wall building, and then I saw a corresponding glass wall building, and there were oriental-looking people. When I saw in the news uh, a scene in the street in North Korea, which was all lit up and it looked a little bit like Times Square, I recognized it as the view. And that's when I put the deductive aspect that this this uh, election interfering or hacking started in North Korea. North Korea is at war with America. I mean, they're going full out. This is really, really bad. And it's kind of like we're looking at Russia. Mr. T, Mr. T as I like to call him, is for whatever they got on him, whatever he's, the deals he's made or whatever he thinks, I'm not sure, he's... Uh, cozying up to Russia, and that's dangerous as well. So he's overlooking, or something is happening with North Korea that nobody's paying attention to. Well, let me let me ask you specifically about North Korea. The, the, the hacking is one thing, and and North but Korea. They're going of course, to go to weaponry. Well, yes, because they're very close to yeah, that's testing. Twenty seventeen. You're going to hear more on this. I think it was three years ago on your show. I told you that around Christmas time there was going to be some confusion in the White House. And the Chinese were going to be flexing their muscles, and certainly they have been doing that in the, in the South China Sea, and they've been putting nuclear-armed airplanes in the air. And North Korea is kind of hiding in the background with these missiles, and they're like, a, it, I guess you would say this is the, the person in the middle. They keep prodding the two giants. You watch, there's going to be more of uh, this evil man in North Korea who is going to be um, kind of provoking both sides. And I think that's part and parcel why, why Mr. Putin wants to be with Mr. T is they can pair up and go after China or the threat of China in the future. And that's going to come out more and more in February, and you're going to see more in June and July and October. Something really uh, amazing is going to happen, like you know, threats. I see people looking in the sky, and they're afraid. I've also seen, uh, um, I'm not digressing too much, but there's something from space, uh, something from the sky, it's going to be scaring the heck out of people. And I think that might be either airplanes or, uh, or something is going to ignite in the, in the air, or there's going to be some uh, horrific uh, solar flare activity all combined. And this is all going to be provocative. You know, this, is a, this is a one year. You had the numbers up for 2017, uh, and it comes to one year. This is an ego year. This is a year where people are going to be making great strides politically, Threatening, moving to closer and closer to war. Uh, um, on uh, on the productive side, we're going to see people back to work. Huge advances all around the world. However, it's going to be like a, a mystery. While things are are going ahead full steam in producing bombs and, and manufacturing things, the U.S. dollar will be going down. Inflation will be rattling its head. Gold and silver will be going up. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I want to come back to some of those. I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, address all of them at once. Let me just um, remind listeners, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell is here with his uh, predictions for 2017, and uh, we will open up the phone lines, questions and comments uh, for the greater Toronto area, 416-360-0740, and toll-free from just about anywhere, one 866 740 4740. 
and uh, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell's website, drdouglasjamescottrell.com. The last name is C-O-T-T-R-E-L-L. Yes, I was C-O-T-T-R-E-L-L. Dr. Sorry, it's just douglasjamescottrell.com. douglasjamescottrell.com. And the new books include... Uh, Conversations with the Akashic Record and Avatar, The Secret Life of Jesus Christ. Let me just come back to Korea, from North Korea, uh, for a moment. And um, the the villain here, this Kim Jong-un, uh, claiming, well, there's some good evidence to suggest that they are very close to being able to arm an ICBM. Uh, and they're not there yet. Uh, but how close are they, number one? And number two, do you do you see anyone attempting to take Kim Jong Un out in 2017? I think you're right. Uh, I just as you said that I can see people. He doesn't allow anybody to stand behind him, and he doesn't allow people to come close to him. He's very uh, afraid of assassination. He is he's like uh, Dracula. He's the impaler. When people attempt to uh, uh, hurt him or assassinate him, he is so vicious and so vile that people uh, won't attempt this. And you'll see some coup or attempt today. I can see the hats that they wear, uh, some soldiers, older men trying to take them out, and they're going to suffer. You're going to hear horrendous executions uh, this year. All right. So uh, it doesn't sound like Kim Jong-un is going to be taken out. He's going to strike first. He's too clever, and he's too... uh, He's a paranoid kind of guy, Mm -hmm. but he... uh, uh, when he stepped into uh, his father's shoes, um, I had predicted that he might be a temperate, that there could be some peace between North and South. Uh, but that would depend on uh, how how he reacted or what happened to him. Then his uncle came in and tried to assassinate him or take over, and I think that uh, pushed him over the edge. You're looking at a very dangerous man. All right, and how close are they to placing nuclear material on an ICBM? I think they already have it. They do? Oh, my. I can see it laid out on the table, bars that look like uh, gray silver bars, which aren't silver, and they aren't bars, but they're probably plutonium or something like that. It, just, it looks like a table. There's about eight blocks. I, I'm not a physicist, so I don't know right. what that means. Okay. But I'm just telling you what I see. All right. Um that, uh, yeah, it, it, I think everyone is so focused on, on Russia right now. Um, that they're forgetting about North Korea, and that's what has me worried. Well, if uh, there there is uh, you know, some correlation between Iran and Iraq, uh, they're going to be pals, um, and uh, you know this thing in Syria is going to die down now. I had predicted that in the New Earth book, and I've done that on your show years ago, about four or five years ago, and that's going to sort of wane. Um, you know, Putin's not a bad guy in as much as the overview. He's, he's a strong man. He's ruthless. He's a bully, as, as uh, John McCain would say. Uh, but he is not vicious. You know, if people toe the line, he's going to go. He's going to try to expand Russia, get the empire back. That's his long-range plan. But he's not, he's not a real criminal guy. No, I, I, as, I think the... As, the as people uh, would look at him. I think during the Senate confirmation hearings for uh, the uh, Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, Senator Marco Rubio was trying to get Tillerson to, to condemn Putin as a war criminal. He wanted him on the record to say Putin is a war criminal, and Tillerson wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't do it, to his credit. 
uh, you know, let's face it, Putin is a strong man, to be sure. That's what you get over there. Uh, and was Yuri Andropov any better? Was, you know, the early days under Mikhail Gorbachev uh, any better? No, I think not. At least there is some semblance of openness. And yes, it's, it's a fledgling capitalist society over there. It's the Wild West. So Putin is, is uh, really a man for his time over there. Uh, you know, he's not wearing a white hat, but it's not a black hat either. It's uh, shades of gray. Uh, and I think, I think uh, that the reason people are bending over backwards to make a connection between uh, Putin and saying they're blackmailing uh, Trump, they're, they're, they're trying to prevent detente. It's that military-industrial complex that Eisenhower warned us about. Uh, they, they are not happy about peace with Russia. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Phone lines open. Questions and comments for Dr. Douglas James Cottrell and his predictions for 2017. Perhaps you'd like to register your own predictions or ask uh, Dr. Cottrell what he sees in 2017. Uh, We're talking uh, geopolitics. Uh, Let me ask you about um, what do you see uh, in terms of a Trump administration and its dealings uh, with uh, with Putin, with Russia? Are there areas of cooperation? Uh, do you see the two of them perhaps working together to fight ISIS in in uh, Iraq and Syria? What do you what do you see for Putin and, and Trump together as a tandem? Well, I, I think the uh, the real thing is the Senate and the senators. Uh, Congress is not going to uh, uh, be too open. Uh, there's um, uh, a polarizing that's taking place in uh, in America, so there's going to be some uh, baby steps towards approaching uh, some fundamental, you know, cooperation. I, I just see it's like they're shadow boxing. They're stepping. There's a dance going on in, in my vision. So I don't see too much really happening. I don't think that there's going to be any, uh, um, you know hugs and kisses between U.S. and Russia. I think more of a shadow boxing. But but I ha- think the, for example, the first meeting between uh, Putin and, and, and Trump, when it happens, if it happens in 2017, how do you see that going? Because Trump himself has said, I don't know if we're going to get along, but it's worth a shot. And if we don't get along, fine. But how do you see the two of them meeting? How, how are they going to get along? Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I try to be fair. Uh, but uh, Mr. Putin is a superior politician, superior. So uh, if you want to uh, look at what I'm looking at is Mr. Putin putting on kit gloves or gloves on his hand. So he's going to to uh, to treat Donald in a way he's never been treated before. Uh, Mr. Putin's going to outfox uh, Mr. T on every issue going. And all I can do is see Donald leaning back 
because he's a, uh, Donald's about to meet a master, uh, as opposed to Donald just having some hero worship for him. So if there is a meeting, it'll be one of complete surprise. Uh, Mr. Putin will lead Donald into several situations, and Donald will not know how to handle himself. He'll be embarrassed. But I don't think that is like... I see Mr. Putin putting on a black glove. That's why I say a kick glove. He's going to be treating Don, treating Donald. I hope it doesn't mean he's going to beat him up. <laughs> I, but I think he's just going to be, you know. Well, like we we glove. will see. You're you're the there you're the um, opening conflict. You're the uh, you know the um, the clairvoyant. I'm I, I'm only going by what I've seen and and heard and read and and so forth. I I think I think they're going to get along. Pretty well. There's going to be mutual respect. Um, he certainly can't be outfoxed any more than um, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Um, well, I think as as you asked me, I was looking in my mind just now, and that's what I could see: Mr. Putin putting on a black glove, right. and Donald kind of mesmerized by Mr. Putin, hmm. the same as these generals and other business people that Donald's brought around him. He's mesmerized by these people. Well, we shall see. All right, let's uh, talk about uh, let's talk about the stock market and and uh, the the economy. Should be a bit of a down market here for a while. Uh, the U.S. dollar is going to suffer a lot this year. Uh, it's uh, going to be good for manufacturing. Uh, there will be lots of uh, jobs uh, available in in the dirty business things like coal mining and and bomb building and the manufacturing. There will be some hanky-panky in the, in the financial markets again. Uh, we're going to see the IRS going out and going after uh, businesses, uh, uh, people in minority groups. They'll be targeted. Uh, that'll be too, uh, two-sided, good for revenue income for the, for the country, and not so good as, uh, for the people who are suffering. The business well, wait a minute. The I, how do you mean the IRS is going to go after it? Because uh, the Obama administration, and I mean, it's almost Nixonian, the way the IRS was used against certain Christian groups and also the Tea Party, of course, and, and other conservatives. So you're saying that the IRS under Trump will be continue, will continue to be politicized. I, I Well, again, that's what you're saying. I, I find that hard to believe. Well, they're, they're going to go after... Uh, uh the groups of people that uh, Mr. Donald doesn't like. And um, it's one way of increasing. The, the country is in dire straits, so so to speak. There'll be, uh, it, it's a time of extremes. Like I'm, I'm saying, on one hand, there's going to be fantastic manufacturing jobs and things created. And on the other hand, it's not going to make sense because the, uh, the markets will be going down and the uh, dollar will be going down. It's because of the complication between the two extremes. I'm looking at these things. I don't know how they're going to come about. Um, I don't think, as I said before, what's going on in the White House is confusion, but the rest of the country, the business community, uh, has the presidency figured out. Uh, They're going to show him how well they're doing, not that they're taking jobs and going south or whatever. Uh, Mr. Donald is going to have a surprise from the uh, president of Mexico. I'm not sure what it is. I just saw him turning the table, like a table turning around on uh, Mr. T. Um, I, what else? Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah. There's... Uh, um, Can I, let me ask you about the Dow, because it's been flirting with 20,000. It should take a dive here. 
in the next few days. The next few days? Yeah. How low? Days. I mean, if 15% is catastrophic, where do you see, how, how far do you see it? Uh, I, I don't, I haven't looked down. It's just, it, it should, I see a line going down on about a 60 degree angle, and then it kind of goes sideways. So um, normally after an election it does it, but I had predicted three years ago that there was going to be like a trap door, and there was the slash crash that happened not too long after I made that prediction on your show. And I think this is what it said. It's like a trap door. Um, there's certainly a lot of a lot of millionaires and billionaires lining up, and they're going to take advantage of the country. And by doing that, this is going to maybe affect the stock market in a, in a negative way. All right. Let me see if I – do I have time, Ian, to grab a quick call here? He's shaking me off. He says no. All right, Susan, uh, you're up next. Hold me, on to your uh, line. Let me Hang say on. that, you know, uh, Mr. Trudeau is going to be just fantastic. I've seen uh, the leader of the opposition, that lady, the, the, conservative, the Conservative Party, fainting in the uh, legislature. I think the Maple Leafs are going to take it this year. I said last year, if they don't take it last year, they'll take it this year. All right, year. Th- that might be the most startling revelation ever. The Leafs winning the Stanley Cup. You heard it here. Uh almost as bizarre as suggesting that Trudeau is going to do well. Well, <laughs> I got to beg to differ with you on that one. I think he's going to be uh, in and out in two years. A footnote in history, Prime Minister Kevin O'Leary. Put that down on my prediction list. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. And welcome back. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell is uh, with us. His predictions for 2017. And we also have him on the Hangout on Air. Uh, So, Douglas, if you're hearing this, you've dropped off the line and we are trying to reconnect. Ian is calling you right now. In the meantime, let me remind uh, listeners and uh, those of you catching us uh, on the live stream on YouTube, uh, Douglas's website, douglasjamescottrell.com. Douglas James Cottrell.com. Let me spell the last name C O T T R E L L. C O T T R E L L. Douglas James Cottrell.com. And uh, his latest books, Conversations with the Akashic Record. Uh, with a foreword by yours truly, and Avatar, The Secret Life of Jesus Christ. Avatar, The Secret Life of Jesus Christ. And um, while we are trying to reconnect uh, with uh, Douglas, uh, let me just recap some of Douglas's predictions. He just said, as we went to the break, this is the Lollapalooza one. Uh, granted, they've been playing very exciting hockey, uh, but Douglas, you are on the record now. You are predicting the Toronto Maple Leafs are going all the way, and they're going to win the Stanley Cup this year. Is that right? That's right. Wow. And if they, and if they do that, guess what's going to happen to the Blue Jays? They're going to go down. No, they're going to win, too. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so I'm, going to, I'm going to give myself an out. I said last year to some people, I don't usually forecast sporting events because people bet money on them, and they lose money sometimes because I'm out in time. 
People bet money on everything. They will bet money on whether uh, Donald Trump will lose a button during the inauguration. I mean, <laughs> so well, okay, don't let that I, stop you. I, yeah, I just I'm, I'm giving out that precursor. Okay, I'm the psychic guy that I'm not. That what I say is not 100. percent Some people think it is uh, because of my track record. But the point being is that uh, if 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 the if the Leafs win, the Blue Jays will win this year. If the Leafs don't, it'll be next year for the two of them. All right. Uh, let's say hi to Susan. Susan, where are you calling from? Uh, I'm out in Mississauga. Ah, Mississauga. Welcome, Susan. Hi. Your question or comment for Douglas? Yes. Uh, has he returned to the he line He is. Now? We have him back, yes. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Now, um, uh, Dr. Cottrell, you, remember, you might remember me as Susan from Brampton. I was going to try to get down there to see you and meet you in person, but unfortunately I haven't been able to as of yet, but I'm not sure whether you would recall. All right, I don't know if he recalls, but do you have a question for him, Susan? Yes, I was in the midst of a, a very huge lawsuit against a corporation at the time. And uh, what has happened, uh, they would keep putting motions through until they got the right judge, at which point this one certain corporate type, the corporation lawyer for 10 years before they became a judge, struck my statement of claim. And, but... There are ways of possibly getting it back to life again. I was in the midst of an appeal when my health became bad. So my question is um, what Dr. Cottrell feels, whether this case will once again come back to life. And my second question is um, I lived in Shirkston many years ago, and I lived in a spot where uh, used to be uh, a large railway station in the 1800s, but it was all rebuilt. And But there was so much activity in this place. I'm wondering if uh, the doctor knows of any uh, group that have those monitors where they can test the test out energies. Oh, you think you it know? might be haunted? Is that what you're asking, Susan? Oh, I, I, I definitely, as a matter okay. of fact, I know, I know it is. Okay, yes. so we've got the two questions about her court case, Douglas, and then about this particular building and uh, uh, paranormal activity. Yes. Okay, well, the first one is her court case is that they're purposely delaying this, and so she'll run out of money or run out of time. And uh, also, they know your health is not well, so uh, I'm seeing people just holding back that's what I have. Like if you see the monitor, they're holding back. So uh, you still keep going. Um, and I think something in February, about the 12th to the 14th, you're going to get some good news. I can see you clapping your hands together. You're excited. So hang in there a little bit longer. Something around uh, Valentine's Day is going to be favorable for the case. Okay. The uh, thing about paranormal activity, um, I don't know of any particular uh, group, but if you wanted to uh, uh, email... Uh, go on my website, douglasjamescodrow.com, or email the office, info at douglasjamescodrow.com. I'll try to find somebody for you. Um, I know that there are, we have somebody in New York, his name is Eddie, who's coming up to see us in February. He's uh, interested in documenting, uh, documentaries, and we're going to do some experiments, and maybe he will be interested in that. Oh, good. Okay, then. I will definitely uh, be in touch, and I thank you so much for your prediction here tonight, and I oh, okay. uh, look forward to talking to you soon. All right, Susan, thank you for My that pleasure. in Mississauga. By uh, the way, the, ne the next year, the favorite uh, uh, fashion color should be pink, 
and uh, purple. Pink and purple. More, more, pink and purple, more pink than purple, but uh, they'll be predominant. And uh, the oceans, are, there's this, you know, we've heard this bloom. Uh, they, algae bloom? Algae bloom. Yes. Well, it's, a red, it's a red one now. It's going to spread around to the Indian. It's going to go across the uh, Pacific to the Indian Ocean, and it's making its way around the world. We're going to hear more about that, and we're going to hear about great, I can see great big chunks of ice still falling off Antarctica. I can see the uh, sea level rising in, around Spain and Africa, which I've predicted on your show before, right. where the entire coastline of Africa will be underwater. There's going to hear more about that in the news. And it's going to be hot, really hot around the world this summer. Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> I'm, I've been waiting for a nice hot summer. <laughs> well, stock up on bread and, and other things because the wheat and other things going to suffer. Oh, so some, some more drought. All right. Well... Um, yeah, there have been what they call calving in uh, the Antarctic, and, and this is not um, un, uncommon. It happens. It's not necessarily attributed to, to global warming, but the, 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 the ice breaking off, you mentioned, there is a, um, something like 60 kilometers long, I think, this... this um, Bigger than Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. The cracking in the Antarctic ice, a shelf in the Antarctic, they call it calving, and they say it could break off, but they're not... Uh, scientists aren't particularly worried about that one because it does happen from time to time. But you're saying look out for more of that, and you're saying yeah. there will be a, a rise in in, um, in in ocean levels. But you have a different theory. You're not attributing this. You're not attributing this to anthropogenic uh, global warming. You're you're saying this has something to do with the mantle. Yeah, I, I a long, long time ago. I think we were still uh, in the radio station in Sinclair, and um, and. Um, Young Street, and we were talking about, I had a vision, I challenged Dr. Suzuki, I think on your show, for the first time ever, I said that the mantle or the core of the Earth was turning at a different speed than the crust. Years later, some scientists came out, they wrote a paper, and they said they found this amazing fact that the mantle is turning at a different speed than the crust, but that's normal or natural. Baloney. This is what's causing the friction, which is causing the fissures, causing the volcanoes to go off, which is causing the earth to tilt. And um, they are, our, our natives in the north are saying the stars are going backwards, which means the planet is tilting forwards. The wobbling in the planet, which I've also, we, you and I have discussed over the years, is increasing. Uh, and that's why we're getting this. You know, if you look at the weather charts, the uh, uh, jet stream is going way, way south. It's because the planet is falling backwards. It's it's actually going around the planet in the same place. But don't you think this is all cyclical? We, uh, Mitch Batros is going to be on the show next week from the Science of Cycles. Don't you think a lot of this is cyclical? No, not this situation. We're in a, we're in a uh, you know, I'm, I've been a, an amateur pilot, and uh, the, there used to be a wobble. The magnetic uh, North Pole would wobble around, you know, 8 degrees or something. Well, now it's 40 degrees, and... Uh, um, and the North Pole is racing towards the Bering uh, Sea at about 40 kilometers a year. It's actually moving. Oh, magnetic north. Planet. Yes, pole shift. Yeah. yeah. Which which means that, you know, something isn't cycle, it's major. The uh, sun just changed uh, polarity, right? There was a north slipping to the south, and the north and south were in the same area of the sun, and then right. it was called to be normal. Well, there's I, a se- 11-year solar cycle, and we're heading into a... Um, I guess, a, what do they call it, a solar minimum in terms of very little solar uh, sunspot activity, which tends to suggest 
cooling. Well, as, as I said at the top of the, the predictions, there's going to be a lot of that. There's going to be some solar activity, uh, enormous. I see people just looking in the, up to the sky and they're scared. We are, we are uh, overdue for uh, some sort of a Carrington type event, which would be a major uh, electromagnetic pulse from the sun. Uh, let's hope that part of that $1 trillion infrastructure project uh, stateside, that they, uh, they use some of that to harden their, uh, their power grid system. And, and uh, we need to do the same up here in, in Canada, if we haven't already. Well, well as always, uh, you know, for people wondering, what should I do? Buy gold and silver coins. Uh, have uh, some food supply for eight months or, or longer. Have some water supply. Water is going to be the most valuable commodity in the future. People Where do you see gold going, Douglas? Before. Where do you see gold going this year? I think it's going to go, uh, if it goes past the 1300 it's on its way to 1800 And uh, I can see people in my mind right now scurrying around, picking up these bitcoins or coins, uh, you know, they, they the future currency of the world is gold. There's a lot of countries already demanding payment in gold instead of U.S. bucks. So uh, it's right. going to go high. It, I know it's been flirting around, you know, anywhere between 11 and 12. But if it goes past 1300, uh, then you're going to see it continuing 18 and then long range 24. All right. And uh, in terms of 2017, any major uh, earth changes, uh, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions that we need to be on the lookout for? Yeah, you, you should look for Vesuvius and Etna. Um, if the, both of them go off this year, we're in big, big trouble. And uh, I can see, you know, Etna uh, has been, you know, there's been some reports of it. Uh, Nostradamus predicted snow in a, in a city uh, for two days. Uh, and that apparently, uh, uh, I had a friend of mine who is uh, um, somewhat knowledgeable of it and reported to me that that prediction has happened. And that is supposed to be the beginning of his countdown. So um, what we're looking for in Canada, we're going to have a great time here. Canada is going to be floating along, uh, and the weather will be terrifically nice to us. But uh, And the rest of the world, especially we're going to see some between the, the Carolinas, north and south, and through the Great Lakes up to Montreal, I can see that rattling. There will be some reports in Mount St. Hilaire and Montreal, which is there's six volcanoes at the end of the St. Lawrence uh, Seaway. Uh, when I was there, uh, I discovered that, and I had predicted before that the the uh, North Shore um, and and the separation of the St. Lawrence will occur. Now I know why because it's a huge fault and all these volcanoes waiting. All right, we gotta I gotta wrap it up here, Douglas. Um, let me just okay, direct people for to yourself for yourself this year. Expect big things. I can see on the springboard. You're going to be shooting up real high, it's like a like a rebounder, like but not coming back down. It's just a, it's a spring year for you. A spring year for a spring chicken, all right, and a rebounder on the order of Dennis Rodman, perhaps. I don't know. Thank you, Douglas. Always a pleasure. DouglasJamesCottrell.com. Stay well, my friend. My pleasure. God bless. Avatar, The Secret Life of Jesus Christ, and Conversations with the Akashic Records. Thank you to Ian, Albert, and Ryan. Back next week with a brand new show, Mitch Batros from the Science of Cycles. And I hope you'll be along for the ride. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. And oh, I can't remember. It's too late. <laughs> Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.